0: Uh, Good morning from me to all of us and to whichever security agencies are in our living rooms as well. Lovely to be with you. Um, And just before I jump in, the thing that Carol just said, completely unprompted, about the value of the practical and the prayerful together is great, because that's exactly what we're going to be looking at this morning. So um, I I love when Jesus does that and prompts these little connections. Do grab your Bibles. We're going to be continuing in the book of Ephesians chapter six, and um, and let's dive in, shall we? This morning, our series studying Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus draws to a close um, with a famous and a powerful passage all about the protection that God gives to his people against the dark spiritual forces that dominate our fallen world. And this passage can seem to come a little out of the blue, But as we'll see this morning, far from it being a strange subject shift of a bolt-on to what Paul's previously been saying, this passage about standing strong in the face of the enemy's onslaughts is the natural flow-on, follow-on, and the culmination of the passages about how to live that Rachel and Morag so beautifully led us through in recent weeks. So as we'll see in today's passage, but also throughout the whole of the letter of the Ephesians, Paul wants God's people not to be oblivious to the fact that we exist in fought over territory. It's on the screen, but also do grab your Bibles and open them to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look into it later, and I won't give you the benefit of the screen for that. But now, my friend Danielle is going to read our passage for us. Thank you, mate.
1: Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, Words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, mate. That is beautifully read. Beautifully read. Moments before these verses, Paul was instructing us on how members of a household should treat one another. We had submit to one another out of reverence for Christ so that we can walk in the way of love. And then all of a sudden, Paul starts talking about armour, about the devil's schemes, about the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we could be forgiven for thinking that it's a huge handbrake turn of a subject change. Actually, I think it's a continuation, a development of the same line of thinking. Paul is still talking to us about how we should live in chapters, uh, in response to the amazing work that God has done for us, which he told us about in chapters one to three. So our verses today are verses that add a spiritual awareness to how we should live. And they're not a new idea, but a zooming out to show the context of everything that Paul has been saying to us practically throughout this letter. When Paul addresses the topic of spiritual warfare in six, verse 10 onwards, this isn't him dropping it in out of the blue. This is the culmination of spiritual teaching that have been there with the practical the whole way through, The book of ephesians what we read in ephesians and in the rest of the bible too is that the spiritual and the practical are utterly interconnected our actions and our choices have spiritual consequences as well as physical ones and the spiritual world around us impacts us just as the physical world does And of course, when we think about how God speaks to us today, when we have moments where we see him healing people, interacting with us physically in tangible ways, giving words and pictures that unlock our lives and change the direction of them, we can see that these worlds aren't separate. But I think we don't always make the link between the spiritual world around us and our right and wrong actions. Paul did make that link. And throughout this letter to the Ephesians, he's been dropping teachings about our spiritual status, what God has done for us in the heavenly realms, right there alongside the practical bits. And so, as this morning's talk will serve to close our series in the book of Ephesians, I want to come to today's passage via a recap of some of these spiritual truths as they've popped up throughout the book. I am making Veronica work hard this morning with the screen sharing, and we'll be putting up these verses bit by bit, but we'll be going at some pace, so I invite you to make a note of these if you think, hang on, I want to read more about that, and we'll come back to these, or I invite you to come back to these and study them in a little bit more depth later on. So, thank you, Veronica, you are (laughs) there ready. Uh, What is the spiritual reality that we find ourselves in? Well, we read in chapter 3, verses 10 to 12 of the book of Ephesians, that God's ancient, mysterious plan, picking us up at verse 10, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is, that God is using the church, using what he's done to the church, for the church, and through the church, to show these spiritual powers and authorities, especially the disobedient ones who run our world, that he had always intended to meet us, to show us his love, to cut those unfaithful spiritual powers and rulers out of the loop, that was his plan all along, to restore us to right relationship with him, and so When Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross, and Jesus having made the perfect sacrifice for sin, the sin offering on our behalf, Jesus earned, and God the Father granted him, the highest spiritual authority in existence. Jesus was justly given the top office in the power, authority over all spiritual beings. Jesus has full authority over everything, angels, demons, the huge spiritual powers and forces that steer cultures and nations. To cut back to Ephesians chapter 1, oh, and uh, there's a, a Colossians note as well. Like I say, read it later. <laughs> to cut back to Ephesians chapter 1, we read that God the Father has, and we'll pick this up in verse 20, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet, appointed him to be a head over everything of the church. And again, that same point is made in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, if you're taking notes. Jesus' authority covers everything now there is no department that his office doesn't have authority over in the hierarchy diagram of authority jesus's name is over the whole universe it's important that we know this and so having established that truth about jesus paul tells us about us ourselves in chapter two paul tells us that As for you, that's you and me, friends, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's really key, that line. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts, and like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us, and pay attention to this bit, alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, by grace that we've been saved. And, what did he do to us? God raised us up with Christ, and seated us, with him in the heavenly realms in christ jesus in order that in the coming ages he might be really really kind to us and lovely you see how paul here talked about the ways of this world the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient paul is not saying that well we humans are evil and we need to behave Paul is instead saying there is an evil force at work in this world who is working in those of us who are disobedient, and people are getting caught up in this and going along with it, and so from that place of being swept up in evil, people who become God's people in Christ are lifted up out of that spiritual swept alongness and seated securely with him in his penthouse office. We leapfrog the spiritual forces that used to control and oppress us, and we get to sit liberated and loved by our saviour. Chapter 2 verse 13 tells us, but now in Christ you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's true for the disobedient. It's also especially true for us who are Gentiles, not Jewish, not traditionally part of God's people. turns out that even though God originally worked through one people to bring his good news to the world, people from all nations are being spiritually set free and made part of Jesus's new kingdom. So, now that God has cut off our chains to the evil spiritual captors that we were previously tethered to and underneath there is no spiritual rebellion in us blocking God's desire to bless us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ and for us we were also included in Christ verses 13 and 14 of chapter one tell us Included in Christ, when we heard the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation, when we believed, we were marked in him, in him again, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Those of us who are reconciled to God, made peace with to God in Christ, have been set free from our sin slavery and restored in the status as favoured children that he always wanted for us. So, with that context of our spiritual relocation, the verses where Paul warned us about how we should live can take on for us a spiritual meaning, as well as the obvious behavioural instructions. Picking up chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, Paul tells us, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity to god they have given themselves over to a sensuality so to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed but that is not however the way of life you learned when you heard about christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in jesus you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds to put on the new self created to be like god in true righteousness and holiness so looking at this passage the reason that people don't live god's way paul offers us here is because their hearts have been hardened against god's leading we just don't hear it we don't feel his nudges we don't get drawn towards living with him and how he wants us to and that's because there are spiritual forces hostile to God operating in this world that are looking to separate us from him so those who don't have that connectionship with the connectionship yeah I like that with God having lost that sensitivity to him people have given themselves over to sensuality, that is, to do what feels good. And isn't that how our culture defines right and wrong? And yet, those of us who have met Jesus and are learning to live with him, we are to take off our old way of living like an outfit that we've just discovered is covered in muck. And instead, we're to put on a new way of living that seeks to be with God, to follow him, and to be like him, seeking his holiness and his righteousness. For us, we're to live God's way, not just because it pleases him, although that would be reason enough, but to do that because the alternative is not neutral. It's partnering with the spiritual forces that are in opposition rebellion against God, there is not a middle ground. We either find ourselves partnering with God or partnering with the forces that are opposed to him. And the choice of that partnership is made by our behaviour, our actions. In the middle of, in amongst these how-to-live passages that we've heard about in recent weeks, was this explanation line Ephesians 5, verses 5 to 7, that puts the spiritual reality starkly and clearly. Of this you can be sure, Paul says. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, here's the line, such a person is an idolater as any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. And notice how Paul calls these disobedient behaviors idolatry. Idolatry is what we call worshiping something else instead of God. So what is Paul doing connecting the ungodly behaviors that he lists in Ephesians 4 and 5 with worship? He's making the point that the systems that the enemy has set up in this world, the sinful alternatives to living a holy, pure, devoted life with Jesus, these alternatives are not neutral. They are participating in alternative spiritual beings' plans for how they want us to live. When we prioritize selfishness, greed, sexual immorality, Talk that encourages unclean thinking, or anything that undermines someone's relationship with God, when we prioritize those things, we are devoting our energy, our time, our money, ourselves to a different spiritual being. We are worshiping an enemy of God by those actions, those choices. It's more than disobedience. It's idolatry so Paul urges us to avoid that danger reminding us that our choices have real spiritual consequences and Paul urges us to reject the temptations of the kingdom of darkness but welcome the kingdom of God the kingdom of God that is both the future promise of heaven and the now of him meeting us and moving powerfully through us we love your presence Lord bring your kingdom. That is why, if we want to stay with God in his kingdom, welcome his presence amongst us, our behavior must not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, doing things that he himself within us, his heart breaks about. We must not give the devil a foothold. That is, don't give the devil a claim against us to legitimize his work against us. But instead, we are to walk in the way of love just as christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god friend we are to live lives with god that are as pleasing to him as a barbecue smells to me and our lives are designed to be filled with the spirit to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, to sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to submit to one another out of reverence. for And so from our whistle-stop tour of the book of Ephesians, references to spiritual battle, that this world finds itself in. Returning to our passage for today, perhaps it's not that strange that, after all that, Paul concludes his How to Live section, which is chapters 4, 5, and 6, with an explicit teaching on spiritual warfare. Because, and get your own Bibles for this, in verse 12 of today's passage, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's the fight that we find ourselves caught up in the middle of. And Paul wants God's people to not be oblivious to the fact that we exist in fought over territory. Jesus has the full seat of full authority, but... God's kingdom coming to this world is now and not yet here. It's broken in, but it's not complete. The enemy refuses to concede defeat, but continues to resist and to use his control over this world's nations and cultures to do as much damage as possible to as many of us as possible until God calls time. So, to those who are going along with the enemy... The enemy perpetuates systems of sin that enslave and consume people, and most crucially, keeps them separate from the God who loves them. And to those of us who have been met by Jesus, set free and restored to loving relationship with God, the enemy uses the systems and the cultures of this world to make life as difficult as possible. A cocktail of temptations and trials in the hope of dislodging us from our connection to God and or at least preventing us from being used by God to set other people free with that in mind with that threat Paul instructs us to in verse 10 of our passage today be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes Paul wants us walking around protected from these devilish schemes against God's people by, verse 14, putting on the belt of truth. That is, making truth, integrity, the thing that runs around the core of our beings. Time to get practical, friends. Is this how we live? Do I, I invite you to ask yourself, do I live wearing a belt of truth, a circle of integrity that surrounds me, or are there maybe gaps that I need to close in that integrity circle? Areas where actually I'm not wearing that belt of truth that God wants to protect me with, areas where I might be exposed to the enemy's accusations and attacks. Also, in verse 14, Jesus instructs us to make our righteousness, our holy living, to be the strong defense that guards our hearts, that shines brightly to those who oppose us. So just like, am I living surrounded by integrity, am I living righteously? That is, are my words and my deeds holy, righteous, Do those who stand in front of me see shining light from my heart? Or does my breastplate of righteousness need to be polished or maybe just put on in the first place? Friend, is your heart protected by you living righteously? Or is that a piece of armour that you've not put on, that leaves you open to the enemy's attacks in your heart? your relationships, maybe even your sense of self. It's Jesus' righteousness. Thank you, Lord. Not our own. We haven't had to work for this. But he does invite us to claim it, to put it on, and to live in it. In verse 15, continuing with that armour, Jesus wants us ready to go, ready to move. To carry God's advance into this dark world, to take his good news of peace and restoration wherever our general commands us to take it. Are we ready? Do we say, all right, Lord, I'll do it. Or do we pray, here I am, send him. Are our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the good news of what Jesus has done for us? Are we prepared for him to send us? Note as well that the armour of God is not just defensive against the devil's attacks on us. Jesus wants us boldly to step into enemy-occupied territory in order to set people free with God's peace in their lives too. Verse 16. We're invited to take up the shield of faith to grasp hold of and lift up high our trust in Jesus when the enemy fires intimidating flaming arrows against us. If they're on fire, they're even scarier, right? But we're to be in a position to say, no, I know that this intimidation is strong. I know this situation is intimidating and the enemy's threats are fiery, scary, but I trust Jesus here. And my Jesus will put out those fires as well as protect me from those arrows shot at me. Do we have that trust? This taking up our shield of faith is an invitation to trust Jesus in the face of intimidation. And a tip for you, if you find that hard, if you think that's all well and good, but how do you do that? The closer we are to Jesus in non-intimidating times, the easier our shield will be to pick up when we need it. He also invites us, in verse 17, to grasp hold of and place on ourselves the helmet of salvation, to ensure that our minds and our thought spaces are protected from the enemy's whispers. The thoughts that make us question God's goodness to us, the memories that question whether I could really be saved by God, and yet God invites us to take up the helmet of salvation. That is, to be protected from the enemy's attacks with the knowledge that I have been saved by the God who loves me, and not by my own works, but by his grace. So my failures can't take it off. Those doubts and fears and insecurities that we have, they're not a surprise to God. They're not a barrier to him offering us his big, strong helmet. And he offers us spiritual armor to remind us that he is faithful and strong to protect us from the accuser. Lastly, in this armor image, in verse 17, our offensive weapon, the sword of God's spirit, which is his word. There's two bits of this, two things here. God's truth, the Bible, and God's presence. And when we speak God's word into a situation, we bring in not only his truth, but by doing that, we also invite his presence, his Holy Spirit. God invites us to wield the truth of God and to invite in God himself to break the chains that keep people trapped, separated from him. God's truth can cut through such damaging lies that the enemy might weave to ensnare people. And God's presence can cut through such painful ties that the enemy might place around a person to prevent them from knowing their loving Heavenly Father. So friends, do we know this book well enough to be able to speak its truth to people when they need to hear it? Do we spend time with God, reading his word, asking him to bring to us his presence, to arm us with his words, his truth, when we are in a situation where we need to bring that loving freedom to those in this world. When spiritual powers come who are against God, his presence clearing them out is one of the most glorious and lovely things. And the power of his word at that sword that wields it, have seen it, and makes a huge difference. So, having described the items in god's peopled armory well as for us in verse 18 that we are to pray in the spirit on all kinds on all occasions sorry with all kinds of prayers and requests that is that we're not being sent out without god we're to keep an active dependent connection to him in the spirit in his presence we're not to be sent out without him And also, we're not to be blind, but we're to be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. That is, to stay spiritually vigilant, aware of the threats that we and our brothers and sisters in the kingdom are facing, especially the spiritual side of reality, and asking God's blessing and protection for them, always. So, another challenge. How's our prayer life? Is spending time with God in his spirit a good description of our day-to-day lives? Do we keep alert to the dangers of spiritual attack, praying for God's people to stay strong in him and make God-loving decisions? You see how this is is not tick-box exercises Oh, to be a Christian, you've got to read the Bible and pray. There's a why behind this. There's a reason for actually we're to be useful. We're to be part of this mission. We're to be part of this God reaching his love into a world that really, really needs him. Our knowledge of and use of his word, our dedicating ourselves to time with him, are powerful spiritual weapons in a war. Not against any person, but so that every person might know that there's a God who loves them. If those challenges don't sound like our everyday lives, I have some homework for us this week, friends. Why don't we make that practice an important part of our daily lives? There is a spiritual battle between the forces of a world that are in opposition to God and his truth. And on the other side, the God who has usurped their evil and illegitimate authority disarmed them and we as god's people live in this spiritually war torn situation find ourselves safely seated with christ in terms of our own relationship with god but also walking around in enemy occupied territory until god calls time on this reality and finally removes the defeated spiritual powers once and for all whilst we are living behind enemy lines Our integrity, our holiness, our readiness to take God's peace into this world, our trust in God's protection and his salvation for us. And our carrying his word and his presence into this world will both protect us from the plans the enemy has to disrupt us and deliver others from that enemy's captivity. And so... As our talk today and our series in Ephesians as a whole draws to a close, our identities as God's people are as forgiven, restored, holy people, loved and blessed, called to live in unity with God and unity with each other, and given armor. To protect us against the inevitable attacks from an enemy who hates God and hates his people. We are to be a people who are to live holy lives, not just because God wants us to, but because to do otherwise is actively giving away our worship to other spiritual forces, devoting ourselves to God's enemies through our participation in their rebellion. We. We are to be a people who sit in Christ in the heavenly places and who walk the way of love that he has shown us and to stand firm when the attacks of the enemy come in the protection that he provides for us. I don't know. give us a moment um, there might be some things that we want to say to God some of us we might need to repent and make peace with him this morning Some of us who are maybe battered and bruised in the fight need to say, oh, please, Lord, I want that armour. Lord, would you open our eyes to the realities around us that you want us to see? Would you open our eyes to the consequences of the actions that we take? Help us to see the spiritual realities that go with those, as well as the obvious physical practical ones. And Lord, we need your power. We need your strength to protect us. More basically than that, we need you. We need your presence. We need your love. Come, on, Holy Spirit. We love you. We're so grateful for you. And we invite you and implore you to come more. I want to pray particularly for those who need their heart guarding, heart repairing, and then guarding. That um, breastplate of righteousness, Lord, we need it. Uh, we need your protection for our hearts, and we need your um, stitching together and surgery. Some of us, we need your righteousness to defend ourselves and our relationships. Jesus, you're so good to us. We ask you to have your way and we give you all the glory. Amen.